0: plushcare.com slash weight loss hello and welcome to HuffPost's brand new weekly podcast am i making you uncomfortable presented by me brogan driscoll and me rachel moss this podcast is a frank honest conversation
1: about women's bodies health and private lives this week we're discussing
0: heavy periods so I used to have manageable periods until I got my copper coil fitted a few years ago, uh, which I would really recommend. I think they're amazing. But for me personally, it's meant that one day of my period is really heavy. Um, so there have been a few awkward situations. For example, last year, I went for dinner in a nice hotel and we were sat speaking with the owners and I got up to go to the loo and realised I'd leaked through my dress and onto their very nice chair. Yeah that was quite embarrassing. I've experienced heavy bleeding throughout my period, since my teens, Um, especially the clotting is what I found most difficult to manage and deal with. Um, I was eventually diagnosed with endometriosis about seven, eight years after, after really making up a fuss about it, and I'm on now tranexamic acid, which helps to lighten the flow slightly.
2: My period feels often like an uphill battle, if I can be honest. Um, Not only do they tend to be heavy and uncomfortable, but they can be rather painful, and I also have clots in my periods, so it's not very comfortable. And I've been in situations where if I've had staining come through my trousers, which has happened a few times, it's been really embarrassing and I've needed to um, come home and get changed.
1: Heavy periods, or menorrhagia, affects around one in five women of reproductive age in the UK. It's defined as abnormally heavy or prolonged bleeding and is one of the most common gynecological complaints. It might not be life-threatening, but combined with a stigma that already comes with periods, it can have a really debilitating effect on
0: women's lives. You can take part in the conversation using the hashtag A-I-M-Y-U. Now we're going to talk about periods, which feels quite apt because I am on my period today. Oh, well,
1: thanks for sharing. I was also going to start things with a TMI and tell you a couple of weeks ago, I said to my boyfriend, God, I don't know whether I'm going to get through the podcast recording because I've got a really heavy period. And he said, why don't you just sit on a towel? And I said, that should be the title of our next podcast why don't you just sit on a towel so (laughs) so there we are it's basically Um, my life yeah and that brings us nicely to introduce (laughs) Tash actually who you can hear already because she's great (laughs) this week we're joined by our colleague Natasha Hind who is a reporter at HuffPost and Tash has very kindly agreed to join the am I making you uncomfortable party because she has heavy periods or menorrhagia thanks for joining us Thank you for having
0: me. What a treat. To
2: talk about my periods.
0: <laughs> are you set on a towel right now, Tasha?
2: I'm actually not. I'm not on my periods, thankfully. Otherwise, it'd be like elevator scene from the shining. <laughs> um, so, yeah. a glorious image. That's
1: mm, glorious. Yeah. So we are talking about the heavier side of periods today. Um, obviously it comes on a huge spectrum. And because we don't really see anyone else's periods, it's really hard to know what counts as a heavy period and what is normal and what is not. Can we kick things off by you talking about your experience? So when did you realise that your periods might not be normal or the norm?
2: There wasn't like a light bulb moment, but it was more of a sort of gradual realisation that I was just really struggling with them. So I didn't really have Uh, particularly in-depth conversations with friends at school. We'd just say, you know, oh, I'm on or, oh, I've got bad cramps this week. But that was about the long and short of it. So I did have quite in-depth conversations with my mum about it, um, mainly because she could see how much pain I was in mm-hmm. um, she could also see the state of like the laundry because mm-hmm. my bed sheets would be constantly just covered in blood like my clothes would be covered in blood I was wearing like maxi pads to school which We all know maxi pads, they have that distinctive rustling sound, which is (laughs) delightful at school. Um, Yeah, yeah, really, really fun when you're already a mortified teenager to be rustling around the classroom. (laughs) I would just constantly be leaking. And I think it got worse as I entered like my late teens. And I remember being at uni once and going to this seminar and um, all of a sudden I could just feel like damp sitting in damp at this point I was wearing like sanitary towels and tampons together um to try and keep it all in but yeah I just remember thinking oh god I've leaked and like rushing to the toilet midway through the seminar uh seeing like all this blood all over like my trousers and I didn't have like a jacket thankfully I'd like driven to uni that day so I just like rushed to my car and went home and like missed the rest of the day. And mm. that is sort of like how it has been throughout, you know, just like the embarrassment of leaks and like the pain. And it's just quite a lot to deal with when you're young and you just feel quite on your own. You're, yeah. Like lonely.
0: You know, we talking about like when you realise it was that they were heavier than other people's. Or was that something that you were aware of because of the conversations you had with your mum or was it kind of through like later scenarios?
2: I think it was through the conversations with my mum, but also to be fair, I think that my mum had heavy periods. Um, So in our family, it was just normal. Mm. Um, So I was diagnosed with um, menorrhagia or heavy periods when I was in my late teens. And that was because I went to the doctors and I was just really struggling with like the pain and like the... Fatigue and like weakness that you get, probably because you're losing so much blood. Yeah. Um, and I'm only five foot. So, like, <laughs> to me, it felt like I was literally losing like my body weight in blood. But I went to the doctors then because I was just sh- struggling. And my mom had been like, you know what, why don't you go see a GP about it if you're worried? And that was when they diagnosed me with it. But I still didn't know how other periods were at that point. So, it was only really when I started working at Huff post and we all had quite casual chats, (laughs) (laughs) periods in our morning meetings and at lunch breaks that I was like,
0: oh God. Rachel and I were talking about this because like, I've worked with you for what, like five years and for such a long time, like had no idea that this was something that you were dealing with. And a couple of years ago, HuffPost did a week long kind of series about periods and Tasha and I were little guinea pigs. And tried those absorbent period pants and wrote at length about our experiences and our concerns about them.
1: What was that like for you, Tash, taking part in that experiment? Do we call it an experiment, Um, considering that you have such heavy periods?
2: I was quite apprehensive about it, to be honest, because, you know, I'm used to sort of having double protection. Um, But even that doesn't quite work. So I was thinking, oh God, you know, are these pants going to keep everything in? But actually it was a bit of a game changer for me having heavy periods. And I wish that I'd have known about these pants when I was at school, because it would have made my life so much easier and would have saved probably a lot of bedding. But I guess it was quite like scary writing about it. I mean, you had to be graphic about it because That's the whole point of the review. Like people want to know, are you going to leak everywhere? Is it all damp and wet when you're just sitting in these pants? So it was sort of, I was quite apprehensive, but it felt like quite a relief to write it and Mm. just sort of get it out there. And, you know, a lot of people read that article as well, which was like, it just shows you how people are desperate for this information, but we just do not talk about it and we need to.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You mentioned that you first went to the doctors in your late teens. So I wanted to go back to that because I know when we've spoken about these kind of women's health problems in the past, sometimes it takes people quite a long time to go. Sometimes when people do go, they feel like they're not taken seriously or they're a little bit fobbed off. So
2: what was your experience like? Did your doctor get it when you first went? So to be fair, my doctor did get it pretty much straight away and was like, it sounds like you've got this menorrhagia, which are heavy periods. He was like, we can like, try you on these um, pills and we'll sort of go from there and see how it goes. Um, the pills were called methanamic acid and um, you could take like a few a day and it basically lighten your period and uh, ease the pain. But yeah. I was quite aware from Pouring over the like leaflet that came with it that it wasn't something that you should take for like prolonged periods of time and when you think about like the average woman is on a period for what, like 40 odd years it just seemed a bit like yeah, okay yeah. so this is like a useful solution but I was quite aware that I only wanted to use them as and when I really really needed to rather than sort of become reliant on them. Um I did in my early twenties go back to the doctor and tried like a few different types of contraceptive pill, but I was then getting like other issues from just taking the pill. And then in the end I was just like, oh is it worth it? I should probably just like shut up and put up. I hate
1: that phrase like shut up and put up because I feel like if women's health stuff was researched more, we wouldn't be shutting up and putting up. I've heard from so many women writing about women's health and particularly like the pill that you just mentioned that there's so many varieties out there and you're just told to go from one to the other to the other and if none of them work for you then there's like
2: no solution. Last year actually I did go back to the doctors about the issue because I don't know what was going on with my body last year but it just seemed to really kick off. <laughs> um, and I remember I filled a tampon and like a maxi pad in the space of 15 minutes. I was getting like blood clots the size of like 50p coins. Honestly, it was extreme. And um, I went back to the doctors because it started feeling like someone was taking a sledgehammer to my womb. And I remember just sitting on the edge of the bed on multiple occasions being like, should I just get my womb removed? Like, would it genuinely be easier uh, yeah. if I just had it removed? Because it feels like I'm on on a period for like half of the month because I get the pain a week before yeah. I get PMS. Yeah. Then the period hits, it lasts for like eight days. It's like three days of like heavy, heavy flow. And then it, gradually sort of siphons off you know you're getting like blood clots you're leaking you're embarrassed um you feel tired like fatigued i remember getting on a tube like multiple occasions to come home from work and um just feeling like i was going to pass out because i just felt so like weak And it was always on like day one, day two of my period. And one time I had to get my boyfriend to basically just come and pick me up in a taxi because I just thought I was going to pass out and I couldn't like walk. (laughs) You also like worry about being seen as a drama queen. There's such
0: kind of negativity like around the way that we talk about periods. I don't know if you remember growing up, people would be like, oh, you're on your period. Like, Like, you know, there's just so many negative assumptions made, I guess, around women that like, you're exaggerating or you're in a bad mood because of your period and all of these things. And it's so unfair when for some people having periods for two weeks of the month, it's really debilitating. There has been so much discussion in the past about the idea of like period leave and people taking time off from work or school because of period pains. You have a really hard time with it. Is it something that that you think you would take if it was an option or?
2: Yeah, I definitely would take it. Um, I think, you know, we we try and sort of work through our periods because it's not seen as, you know, an ailment or an illness. And you just sort of like, well, this is what happens to my body every month. It's like just got a grin and bear it sort of thing but to be honest there have been days where you know I've been at work and and it you know what is the point in being at work and then being hit with all of this pain and like also worry that you're going to leak all over your office chair in front of all your colleagues which is not fun worry to have um but like you can't concentrate like you're you know there have been occasions where i've gone to the toilets because i've been in so much pain and i've had a cry and it's just like you know if if it was any other sort of issue you would just take a day off um mm-hmm. and i have to be to be fair i have taken days off because of my periods before um you know school uni work because it's just been too much and i've just been like i can't i can't like actually work so there is literally no point um and you just make up for it elsewhere it doesn't mean that you're not working hard Mm -hmm. you just work hard the next day when you can actually like manage it um so I think period leave would be really helpful especially you know a lot of women do have really bad periods like we just we just don't talk about it I guess and and we need to start talking about it and one of the things that's been quite a game changer actually is being able to like speak to colleagues and like your boss about it. Um, obviously not everyone is in a position to speak to their boss about, you know, how they're feeling and their periods. But I do think that is a game changer. And if we can make sure that workplaces are more period friendly, Oh my God, what a slogan, period friendly workplace. Um, but it would. I think it would make a huge difference to a lot of people's lives.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I love what you just said about like you do make up the work. You just do it the next day or whenever. Because I think for me, I love the idea of period leave and I 100% support it. And I definitely think it should be a thing. But for me personally, would I ever have the guts to say I need to take off a day off for my period? I genuinely think I would worry about the judgment because, as Brogan was saying, there's stigma. There's as a woman in the workplace, especially if you're in a male dominated industry, you're already thinking you've got to work twice as hard for,
0: you know, whatever recognition. And I think also like, if you're thinking about like the happiness of your workforce and productivity and all of that, if if someone's really unwell, like with a period pain and they can't concentrate and they're totally distracted, you know, it'd be better for them to take the day off and then come back when they feel better. Then they'll kind of feel more positive about their workplace
2: and cares about them and they'll work really hard. I think it comes down to sort of compassion and trust, like compassion for the people that work for you. And I think this pandemic has made us all realize that we're all human beings. We've all got stuff going on and we've been sort of checking in with one another more. It is so important that we all talk about periods because otherwise, how do you know if anything is wrong? Last year, I actually went to the doctors again and was like, I need to have some form of investigation. I want to make sure that it's all okay down there. I had an ultrasound. They did find that it was okay. But I think it's so important that women like really do push for these investigations if they don't feel like something is right, because there could be issues going on underneath. And I think I read somewhere that like it takes the average woman like 11 years to be diagnosed with endometriosis. And it's just such a long time to be struggling. And by that point, you know, 11 years down the line, you you could have had like some form of preventative treatment to stop it pre- progressing so I just think it's really important that a we talk about periods and b that you know don't just be sort of fobbed off with pills sometimes like do you do have the confidence to push for more because you deserve it yeah
1: definitely um and you know these conditions are also similar but they are different. So that's obviously why it's so important to speak to a doctor and find out which one you do have so you can get the right treatment. And you make such a great point on that. We also wanted to ask you about what's worked for you. So you mentioned the period uh, pants earlier. Can you tell us anything about the products that you tend to use and what's been good and what's been not so good?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I uh, use a well used to use a combination of tampons and sanitary pads to be honest it was just like quite uncomfortable wearing the sanitary pads um don't know just like chafey you know not not a fan rustly rustly chafey um not particularly breathable. Um, <laughs> when we, uh, did the period project at HuffPost, the pants that I tried were from Modibody and they were, I think the like heaviest flow cause they have different pants for different flows. Mine were like the heavy, heavy flow pants. Um, and actually like I've kept using them every month since I'm, planning on putting like a bulk order in because i've only got two Mm -hmm. pairs and i could do with a few more um so now i tend to wear those but i have been using them with tampons as well because just for that extra protection i think there's always like a worry in your mind that you're just used to like the leak so Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that that does not happen but period pants are definitely a game changer would recommend those for people with heavy periods um, so we ask all of our podcast guests
0: um, the same question, um, and that is, what makes you uncomfortable?
2: Awkward silences. They are the <laughs> worst. And I have noticed a lot of them during this pandemic because obviously you're having lots more uh, video conferencing and meetings, and I just cannot deal with the awkward silence, so I tend to fill it with oversharing. And, <laughs> yeah oh god there's going to be an awkward silence now I feel like we should just be silent just
1: to just to test that but it's probably not great for any listeners
2: <laughs> yeah I'd much rather talk about periods and blood clots than have to face awkward silences so there you go. <laughs> thanks so much
0: Tash it's been great having you yeah, on thanks, Tash. thanks for sharing your story with us thanks
2: for having me
3: So I went on the pill at the age of 30 just because I had heavy periods since I was a teenager. I mean, my nighttime routine was basically two giant pads overlapping, two pairs of pants and sometimes even a towel on the bed. That's how scared I was of just bleeding everywhere. And the pill changed all of that. But 10 years later, now I want to come off it. I have come off it and I'm petrified that they're going to come back in that way. So I've. I started working with a nutritionist to see if uh, we can somehow balance out my hormones, but yeah, it's it's a real fear because I really don't want to get back to that. My periods have taken over my life for nearly eight years now. Back in the day I had regular three-day periods, four weeks apart. Now it's at least five days every three weeks. I have to wear night pads all the time, which I have to change every couple of hours, otherwise I'll bleed everywhere, which has happened many times. I break through bleed when I exercise, if I have sex, and sometimes for no apparent reason at all. I am at times physically sick from the pain, I am severely anemic, and I don't feel sexy at all ever with what's going on down there. When I saw my GP in my late 30s, she told me it was because I was getting old, and prescribed the pill, which made it worse, until finally an ultrasound showed multiple fibroids, including one 10 centimetres in diameter. I had uterine artery embolisation where they shoot glue into the arteries feeding the fibroids and it worked a bit short term, but because of where the fibroids are, the only option I have left is a hysterectomy, which I don't want because it's such major surgery. So right now I'm just waiting for the menopause when hopefully my life can start again.
0: Next up, we're joined by Dr. Brooke van der Molen, Registrar Doctor in Obstetrics and Gynecology, the founder of the ObGyn Mum blog about women's health issues, and she's also the co-founder of The Birth Collective, which provides online antenatal classes. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me.
4: It's
1: great to be
0: here. We are very excited to absorb all of your knowledge. We've just been
1: talking about period pants, actually, so that feels very fitting. <laughs> <laughs> We were joined by our colleague, Natasha, in the first part of the podcast because she has been diagnosed with menorrhagia. So we wanted to learn more about that. Can you tell us what some of the causes are? Yeah. So I guess, first of all, for anyone that doesn't know,
4: menorrhagia um, is kind of another term, the more medical term for heavy menstrual bleeding. That uh, is really, really common, probably far more common than we realise. It affects around kind of 14 to 25% of women of reproductive age. So basically a quarter of us. um, And one in 20 women, see their gp about this issue each year so it's really really common and what it is is when you are bleeding heavily for your periods and i think that's quite subjective so the first thing to say is like if you think you've got heavy periods you have heavy periods and it, you know telling somebody you don't have heavy periods because you don't bleed enough that you know that that's not that helpful i think if you find the bleeding is too much for you it affects your everyday life then you can seek help for that but Kind of medically speaking, we have got a definition for it. And that's if you bleed more than 80 mils or more um, in the course of your periods. Actually, it's a very small amount if you were to measure it. It's about six to eight teaspoons of blood is um, anything more than that is heavy bleeding. Because although it looks like a lot, the blood we lose during our period, it's actually not that much. Um, or if you bleed for longer than seven days, that's also classed as heavy menstrual bleeding. Um, and so, yeah, there's a number of different causes. Um, the, the commonest cause is like just because just because some women bleed more than others and it kind of doesn't have a pathology associated with doesn't have something underlying it as a cause. Um, but that is that is a common reason. But there are underlying reasons that you can have heavy bleeding. So I would divide them into two categories. Structural. And non-structural. Um, so structural things that can give you heavy bleeding um, are like fibroids, which m- many women might have heard of, really, really common, um, polyps, which are kind of little growths on the lining of the womb, uh, or more rare things that where the lining of the womb grows too thick. So that's called hyperplasia and can become endometrial cancer, but that's much, much rarer cause of very heavy bleeding. The other causes are like non-structural things. So commonly people that have problems clotting their blood, for example, um, or if they're taking medication that thins their blood, that can give you heavier periods. The most important thing is if you think something's wrong, then to seek
1: help and we can try and help you to work out why. Yeah, absolutely. You, I noticed you said menorrhagia and I can mm. say menorrhagia, which <laughs> makes me sound, I don't know, like I should be wearing a top hat and riding a yeah. pole, <laughs> playing polo. Um, have I just been getting that wrong? What, how, how are you meant to say it?
4: Yeah, I, I think we would say menorrhagia, uh, okay. is, but I, I mean, I understood perfectly what you were saying. So <laughs> whatever feels comfortable for you.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to remember that, menorrhagia. menorrhagia. <laughs> um, we had Tasha on earlier on the podcast who spoke um, about her own experience of heavy periods and specifically um, blood clotting. She mentioned that sometimes she has blood clots the size of a 50p, um, which for me, I have always had quite light periods. That was quite um, surprising. Is that common? When should there be concern? Um, We've heard that some women sometimes mistake blood clots for um, miscarriage as well. Could you talk a bit about that for us?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's a really good kind of property of our blood that it kind of forms clumps and clots. And that's what helps us, you know, for example, if you cut yourself um, your blood clots in order to form a scab to stop you from bleeding out. So it's a normal property of our blood. um, And our period blood, if there's kind of quite a lot of it, it can do the same thing. It can start to stick together in clumps. And it's very common to have to pass clots, you know, maybe the first day or two of your periods, which tend to be the heaviest days. Um, In terms of kind of whether or not it's abnormal. As part of, should I see a doctor, are my periods too heavy? As well as the things I mentioned earlier. So the blood loss being more than 80 mils total or lasting seven days or longer. There's a couple of other things that we would include in that. So if you are passing blood clots bigger than a 10p piece that would suggest the bleeding is a bit heavier than you know the normal um so one of the properties of our blood which is really useful is the fact that our blood can clot so that uh clumps of it form and stick together so if you were to cut yourself for example that's the property of blood that stops you from bleeding out so it's a good thing but the same way that the blood kind of going around our body can clot when we're losing blood in our period that can if there's quite a lot of it clump together um, and form these clots that we can see and it's pretty common to um, pass some blood clots especially in the first day or two of your period when the bleeding is heaviest there's more blood around and it might stick together but there's a couple of extra things that I would add as well so um, passing blood clots bigger than a 10p piece uh, would be a suggestion that you're probably losing more more blood than average Um, also other things include like flooding through your clothes if you're kind of finding that you're wearing you know maybe p- protection and you're still bleeding through if you have to double up you know pads and tampons um if you're needing to change your your sanitary protection every one to two hours those are all suggestions that probably this is excessive uterine bleeding um and we'd advise you to see somebody and see if we can do something to help
1: mm. all the stuff on blood clots there um reminded me i actually had this last year for the first time and it was really horrible I had a really big blood clot and I'd never really had them before and I did that thing where I panicked and said is this is this a miscarriage or is this part of my period and I wasn't sure and I spoke to my doctor and one of the things that she spoke about was in terms of the cramping that she was asking me about the cramping that I felt before I'd passed this large clot to try Mm -hmm. and discern what had actually happened can you tell us anything about that how how would a woman maybe know okay this is period or I, or this is a miscarriage so, I mean, the first thing
4: would be to say, you know, have you had a positive pregnancy test? Because it is hard to know um, if if it's been a miscarriage where where that's happened so quickly after, say, your period was due, you didn't see your period when it should, but a couple of days later you start bleeding heavily than normal. So yes, that would kind of be a that would be considered like a miscarriage uh, or a very very early pregnancy loss. uh And the best way to know would be to have a positive pregnancy test before that. So. Um, I wouldn't advise people to take pregnancy tests who are trying to concede take pregnancy tests too early in their cycle so no- normally if you can wait until the day that your period is due um it's more likely to give you an accurate result so having a positive pregnancy test would be the best way of knowing you know w- was i pregnant this month and then i just happened you know the pregnancy passed
1: you know a day or two later yeah that's really helpful to know and um, you mentioned fibroids being one of the major causes of heavy periods do heavy periods affect some communities of women more than others
4: black women are definitely much more likely to experience heavy periods um, and also kind of have higher rates of needing to go to hospital um, and having kind of surgeries and things like that. So it's, it's something, you know, we have not been speaking about enough. And I think, you know, thankfully, everything that's been going on over the last few weeks is, is, you know, encouraging everybody to raise the voices of black women and talk about these issues, because there is a lot that needs to be improved in this area. So, you Absolutely. First of all, recognizing that black women do experience this problem more um, and they need closer attention. So black women are two to three times more likely to, to have fibroids. Fibroids are incredibly common, you know, in white women as well. They would be present in you know around seventy percent of white women, but it it would be even higher in the black population. Um, Fibroids are like benign growths in the womb that kind of like form like up to the size of kind of a tennis ball. So little balls that grow, um, and they don't tend to become um, cancerous. They just um, grow in the lining of the womb, and they can cause much heavier bleeding during periods. They don't tend to cause. Pain, unless they grow so large that they're taking up a big amount of space in your tummy, um, and they can kind of distort almost the size, the size and shape of somebody's abdomen because of the, the fibroids that that enlarge their uterus, and it makes them much more likely to have heavy bleeding during their period. And again, if we're just talking about the black community, um, they would have a three times higher risk of needing to be hospitalised because their periods are so heavy that they become anaemic and need to go to hospital. You know, for example, to get a blood transfusion. So those those things are all more common in this group of women as well as just generally pelvic pain being being anemic having heavy periods that are affecting their lives needing to take time off work needing to you know miss out on days at school things like that so yeah absolutely this is a really um, important issue to talk about and as I said earlier they've got you know Two to three times higher likelihood of having a hysterectomy in their lifetime because of um, fibroids or heavy bleeding, uh, and we have a lot of other treatments these days. Some that um, you know, just just medications or laparoscopic um, operations, which are less invasive. Um, and I think we need to make sure that this community gets the right um, treatment. That we maybe hopefully overall reduce the number of hysterectomies that need to be done, but providing the you know the right treatment and and just increasing the awareness of everybody to. Take Take this this seriously, make sure that pain is recognised and treated adequately.
0: So we know that it can take women a long time to, sometimes years, a long time to seek help and indeed get help. Um, Why do you think that so many women suffer in silence for so long? Yeah, absolutely. the The highest kind of
4: rate of presentation, the age at which people present, is kind of between the ages of forty to fifty-one, uh, seeking you know advice about about heavy periods. And I think there's a number of different reasons why this happens. The first thing is everyone just assumes this is normal. Um, you might even speak to your mom or your grandma and they say, yeah, yeah, we. I had really, really heavy periods. Oh yeah, well, I had my menopause, then it all stop, So just kind of wait. Um, or people think, oh yeah, well, I've got heavy periods now, but you know, I'm planning to get pregnant, then I won't have periods for a while. So they kind of delay needing to, to seek treatment um, for those reasons. I think People are also aware that you know, a number of the treatments for heavy periods might involve hormones, kind of worried about taking hormones, or maybe they want to get pregnant, so they don't want to affect their chances, that sort of thing. I think there's a lot of different reasons that play into delaying this. Um, and yeah, the thing that I would say is those aren't our only options. And also the other thing is people think we're going to jump into surgery and you know maybe they're worried because someone in their family has fibroids. They think, oh, that's it. I'm, I'm, as soon as I go there, they're going to tell me I'm going to need to have a hysterectomy. So I, I would obviously encourage people to say... There, is, there are a number of treatments. There's, there's treatments that don't involve hormones. There's treatments that do involve hormones, but no surgery. There are things that we can do to help you without affecting your fertility. So yeah, Don't wait if you think you fit into any of those categories we spoke about before. Um, But I think the other reason why people also kind of tend to seek help maybe a bit later on in life is is it can get get worse, Um, especially around that perimenopausal time. Women often experience much heavier periods in the run-up to their periods stopping completely. And it's as the hormone levels fluctuate, as we're running out of eggs approaching the menopause, um, that can result in heavy menstrual bleeding. So everyone kind of thinks, oh, probably I'm getting close to the menopause, you know, they'll become really light and maybe, you know, less periods, but actually it can often be much heavier in that kind of year or so before the menopause.
0: And that's what you mean by perimenopausal kind of yes. before, is it? It's The
4: perimenopause is the time when you're experiencing menopausal symptoms, but your periods haven't yet stopped. So that can go on for a year, two years, even longer for some women. But, you know, they might start experiencing heavy periods, hot flushes, mood swings, that sort of thing, even though they're still getting that getting some periods. That's the perimenopause. And menopause is when the periods have stopped completely.
1: So I personally feel like my periods are getting heavier by the year. It is a freaking nightmare. Um, Do your periods in general change throughout your life or do they have their own personality? Are they a light or heavy period for the whole of your life? How does it work?
4: Uh, No, absolutely. They do change through your life. And I think that's definitely a misconception that I am this type of person. Therefore, I shouldn't you know, have another problem. Um, when we when we start having our periods, they will often, you know, be all over the place. We probably could all remember when you're like a t- in your early teens and they're completely irregular or they might be so heavy and you miss loads of days off school or so painful. But that changes when you kind of come into adult life. You might start things like the contraceptive pill or you might start taking other things during your life as well that will affect your periods. Um, but even if you weren't to take anything, yes, they will be kind of all over the place at, at what we call menarche, which is when we start our periods. For those first few years, they settle down, maybe into a pattern. But you know, a lot of women do notice that when they've um, after they've had a pregnancy, so after they've had a baby, um, their periods may become much more irregular in the um, in the few months afterwards. It can be affected also by breastfeeding, uh, but they can become irregular. They can once they do restart and fall into a regular pattern. Many women notice they are much heavier um, for the for the f- several cycles after having a baby. Um, And that can even take quite a bit of time to settle down. Uh, And then again, as I mentioned before, you know, coming up to the menopause, again, they can change. And some women, they, they get much heavier. For other women, they might get much lighter. So yeah, they aren't static through your lifetime. And again, if you have any of those problems we were discussing before as well, that will affect it. So fibroids grow over time. They also regress over time. Um, you, you, know, you might have bleeding conditions, things like that. So there's yes, yeah, so many reasons why your periods may change through your lifetime. So don't just think, this is me. I've got to put up with it.
0: Thanks so much. That was um, so interesting and full of loads of information that will be really useful for listeners. And I like how Rachel and I both snuck in little sneaky questions about our own periods. Absolutely. I've (laughs) treated this like a GP appointment. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. We have one question that we put to all of our guests on the podcast, um, which is what makes you uncomfortable? Uh,
4: The thing that makes me uncomfortable is taboos and I think that makes everybody uncomfortable but that's also why I started my page you know we all feel uncomfortable talking about things like uh, periods or sex or incontinence and I what I want to do is to make us all feel more comfortable and like you guys are doing with this podcast like let's let's get talking about the things that make us feel uncomfortable so um, we can get kind of get rid of them and make sure people seek treatment help at the right time earlier than leaving things too long. Love that.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for joining us thank you oh thank you so much it's been great having you on yeah thank you so much for having me bye. bye that was dr brooke van der molen and earlier we heard from our teammate tasha hind who is a reporter at HuffPost. that's it this week from am i
1: making you uncomfortable please subscribe to our podcast and give us a nice review I'm
0: Rachel Moss, and you can find me at Rachel Moss underscore. And I'm Brogan Driscoll, and you can find me at Brogan underscore Driscoll. Thank you to our producer, Crystal Genesis, our assistant producer, Rachel Porter, and our sound engineer, Nag Karinde. And if
1: you want to get in touch to tell us what makes you uncomfortable, we'd love to hear your ideas on future podcast topics. You can reach us by emailing aimyu at huffpost.com. You've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Hashtag AIMYU.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.